morning and uh, we've got lots of announcements I want to go through ever so quickly. Uh, you saw the first, if Mr. Eunice Geyer, uh, if you go ahead and make your way up here, uh, we, uh, we, you saw the first, our children's department is, is uh, uh, leading the way here in our Operation Christmas Child this year. There's an insert in the bulletin about that if you take a few moments uh, to take a uh, look at that and see what all we need and how you can play a role in that and a part to play in that. Also, I want to highlight that uh, tonight we're going to be having a special service uh, in that we're going to have uh, Sing for the King prison ministry here with us, and uh, you know James and Christy and Brother Johnny Allen well, and uh, this is something we do two times a year to help support them and uh, to hear their stories, their testimonies of what God is doing in the prison system, but also it gives us an opportunity to support them and to, uh, uh, to help uh, uh, enable their ministry through our gifts and giving, and so tonight uh, Sing for the King will be here, and they'll be leading our services, and I'm sure you'll be blessed by that as you hear about what God is doing, but I also want you to come and be a part of it, not only to hear what God is doing, but to take part in what God is doing by coming and giving, uh, being prepared to give, and, uh, and sacrificing ourselves in that way. Also, uh, I want to make an announcement that this coming weekend, this one up, this should be no surprise to you, uh, but uh, in case it is, we have the men's conference, or men's, not men's conference, excuse me, men's weekend coming up this next weekend. It's going to be Friday night, November the 16th, and Saturday morning, November the 17th. The schedule is listed online, as well as back on the information desk, there's a registration form. Uh, the, the activities will begin at 7 o'clock on Friday night, and we'll have Dr. John Noble here with us delivering uh, God's truth and we're also going to have the Jason Lovins band leading us in worship and then Saturday morning we're going to kick things back off at 9 a.m. with a light breakfast I believe some of our ladies have been uh, uh, putting together a few things for that and then 10 a.m. we'll have another session with Dr. Noble and uh, the Jason Lovins band and again at 11 and you will be home by noon ready to kill that big buck that has eluded you for the past eight days all right so uh, we want you to come and be a part of it want you to make it a priority in your life. I think you'll really be blessed. Uh, I haven't heard Dr. Noble many, many times in my life. There's not been a time I've ever heard him preach that I, did, I walked away and said that I wasn't blessed, that he wasn't used of the Lord. And so I think you'll be blessed and you'll want to come be a part of that. Then next Sunday, Dr. Noble's going to stay with us for church on Sunday morning and as well as the Jason Lovins Band, and then they will uh, uh, in turn take over our services on Sunday night, uh, next Sunday night, and they'll put on a concert and we'll want you to come and uh, express your gifts of love to them. They've been so gracious over the years to come uh, in, in their fees and things like that, so we want you to come and be a part of that, and we want to bless them. Uh, in fact, the last time they were here when they left, they said, sincerely, we've been in churches of 10,000, 20,000 people, and nobody has ever blessed us the way Cornerstone Baptist Church blesses us. And I'm thankful for that. I'm thankful for that testimony, and we want to come and do that again next weekend, okay? Uh, men, if you are planning on coming and bringing your sons, uh, or, uh, or, or if you uh, happen to be a single mom that has a son that you'd like to have, you just tag him onto the Guffy wagon. We'll bring him with me and Isaiah. Uh, but uh, in any case, uh, those of you who are planning on attending, uh, we need you to do us a favor this morning, Desperately, because if we prepare enough uh, breakfast for 100 people and 300 show up, we're in big trouble, right? Uh, uh, and listen, uh, that will be the one time I didn't wait till last to eat in line at a church uh, function, okay? Uh, because we'd be in big trouble. And likewise, if we make for 300 and only 10 show up, we in even bigger trouble. Uh, so we need some help knowing that you're coming. And this morning, what we did was we actually put the registration form in the bulletin so you have no excuses. Those were Celeste exact words. 
words, okay? She's a little testy this morning. She says, there are no excuses for you. Do us a favor, and even if you don't have the $10 this morning, if you're planning on coming, do us a favor and go ahead and rip off that, that portion of the bottom and drop it in the offering plate filled out so that we can at least know you're coming and be better prepared uh, for you when you get here. Miss Eunice has got a few announcements about our adopt school program, and then we'll have the men come up and we'll take up this morning's offering. Good morning. I just wanted to take a minute uh, and share uh, what we're what we have going on with Adopt a School, and it was a great uh, video actually to introduce this topic uh, with the Samaritan's Purse because they're talking about sharing the love of Christ. And one of the things that we have tried to do as a church body this year is to share that love of Christ through outreach. And Dr. Loggins and I have been working on many things uh, that we're looking at doing yet this year, <clears throat> but also into this coming year as well. And uh, with our adoptive school, uh, I just wanted to let you know that this week, the women's ministry is preparing a luncheon for the junior high teachers. We are still in need of many food items for that. So if you could please call the church or go online, or if you've gotten that email from Jamie, please open it. Um, because we would really appreciate uh, help with these food items that we have. Uh, this is something that we only do twice a year. We'll be doing the high school again in the spring, but it is a way that we can thank our school staff here in Sedalia. And uh, along with that, uh, some of the other things we have been doing uh, is working with the social workers and identifying needs within some of the children in our community. And when we talk about uh, impacting our community, if we can impact some of these lives. The uh, social workers, last I spoke with them, had identified at the junior high alone almost 150 kids that are classified as homeless. And at the high school, that number ranges over 200. And uh, some of the things that we're trying to do are just meet some basic needs. Many of these kids uh, are couch surfing, which means that they are just staying at home to home to home. They are responsible for feeding themselves in many cases. Uh, at the junior high, actually it was a bikers group started a couple of years ago, a food pantry for the junior high. And we are trying to meet that need for the high school. They have a little bit less space. They also have a social worker that is in her first year and maybe doesn't have quite all the contacts. So we are gonna to try to meet that need for the high school and so we're in need of just some basic food items that are easy to fix or microwave. So things like even mac and cheese, some protein bars, power bars, noodle bowls that they just have to add water and microwave. Guys, these things will give kids a meal over the weekend. Uh, and I can tell you as a parent, even the school lunches, um, if you have a child that's an athlete, that's, uh, my son was actually up to three meals. He would run his card through three times just to get enough food. So imagine the kids that are just eating one of those meals and still trying to be active and be a growing teenager. So I really ask you to please consider that. Again, the luncheon is this week. We still need those food items for this week. And you can start, you can call the office if you need any more information on that. And as far as the food items, you can just start bringing those in. Uh, we are also hoping to get a freezer at some point that we can also keep some microwavable freezer meals as well. So if anybody has an old freezer they'd like to donate, uh, that would be super helpful as well. So thank you guys. 
We're thankful for Ms. Eunice and Dr. Loggins, their leadership in the Adopted School program. We need you to come along and help us. So uh, just to regurgitate her announcement, uh, we need some items for food. Bring those in, and we'll make sure they get to the right place. Uh, Banana cream pies, uh, apple pies, blackberry pies, those go to the pastor's office, and he'll make sure they get to the right place as well, all right? So uh, if you got time to do that. Come on, y'all need to lighten up just a little bit. I I don't know if it's early for you today. If I could have the men who help with the announcements go ahead, or uh, with the offering, uh, go ahead and make their way forward. And uh, while they're doing that, just a, 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 just a, a touch back from last week. Remember last week we talked about our vision casting, where we're at today, what needs need to be met. I, I pray that uh, we've been praying about that and we want to answer God's call on that today. I know many of you have talked to me this week about how you want to answer God's call and specifically with that giving towards the building fund. Let me express to you why that's so important. Uh, Not only does it pay for our facilities here, but it helps us to do other things as well. Just this week, um, we have a uh, a large, uh, God has been so gracious and allowed us to minister to the Slavic community here in our community. And if you look around, so many are present with us this morning and, uh, and are assimilating into what we're doing here. And we're working together, striving together, hand in hand for the gospel, for the glory of God in Christ Jesus. And one of the things I've learned as I've gotten to know so many of these different families is that Sedalia actually has per capita the largest Slavic community in all the United States, uh, percentage wise. And so uh, it's a great opportunity for us as God's people uh, to reach together, to work together, and to show that indeed the gospel shows no boundaries. That one day every uh, every knee shall bow, every tongue confess, every nation will be gathered together, and of one accord we'll sing one same song, the song of the redeemed. And we get to do that here in Sedalia, Missouri. Um, but as we've gone in this process, it's become apparent that uh, we, it would be good for us to be able to offer interpretation on a Sunday morning live uh, where folks could stop in and grab a body pack in the back and, and uh, plug in their headphones and listen to the sermon and our services in Russian. And we finally, after praying about this now for six to eight months, finally have somebody, it sounds like, that's willing to interpret for us every Sunday morning and be a part of that. The problem is that such systems cost, uh, you know, two to $10,000 to purchase. And so uh, as we talk about these things, the reason we keep pointing you back to the whole vision is to say that really when you give, even if it's giving to the building fund, what you do is you help us promote the gospel in ways that maybe oftentimes you don't recognize or see, but those are the types of things that we can do with those funds. And so I pray that we've prayed about it, asked the Lord to move on our hearts and minds, help us to get back where we're supposed to be in that specific area, and we're going to answer God's call today. And, and, and as we answer faithfully, listen, God will open up the heavens and pour out a blessing until, are you ready? There's no more need at all, and the preacher won't talk about it ever, ever again. Somebody turn to the person to their left and say, we are praying for that day, amen, right? And turn to the person to your right and say, yeah, but in 2 Corinthians, they were excited about giving. Oh, I don't want this day to end, right? Our text for this morning comes from Luke chapter 9, verse 23, down to verse 27. And he said to all, if anyone would come after me, anyone desires to come after me, Then let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will save it. Verse 25. For what does it profit a man if he gains the whole world and he loses, and I like how Luke records this, or forfeits himself. That little word forfeit means to just give it away, not get anything in return. 
to forfeit himself. Verse 26, for whoever is ashamed of me and my words, of him shall the Son of Man be ashamed when he comes in his glory and the glory of the Father and of the holy angels. But I tell you truly, there are some standing here who will not taste death until they see the kingdom of God. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for the day and for the opportunity that you give to us and for the opportunity you give to us to worship together as your saints, as your blood-bought saints in the precious sacrifice of Jesus Christ. We come together this morning in joy and love and peace and harmony. We're excited that you would give us such moments as these to bond together for the sake of the gospel, for the glory of God in the nations. This morning, you have given us an opportunity right here in Sedalia, Missouri to impact the nations, to impact the globe for your kingdom purposes. One day, we're going to be able to see the fruits of our labors. But until such day, would we put aside any need or care about uh, that, about being able to see it? But would we rather just be faithful in moments like these, believing that you're responsible for the outcome and the victory? Today, we bond together as, a, as blood-bought saints, not only in our hearts and minds and not only in our acceptance of your truth, but we bond together in our sacrifice of our self-denial, of our willingness to put away all of our ambitions and goals for the sake of your kingdom purposes. May we answer the call of Christ this morning, even in this moment of worship as we give of our tithes and our offerings. And we pray that you would use them until every person across this marvelous globe had heard the gospel, the precious name of Christ. We pray that you'd use them for such. In Jesus' precious name we pray, amen. Jesus and the cost of following, Luke chapter 9, verses 23 down to verse number 27. Luke chapter 9, verse 23, down to verse number 27. I want to open up this morning's message by asking you a question. What would you be willing to give up for Jesus this morning? What would you be willing to give up for Christ this morning? You know, life itself is a life. It's, a, it's moments of, of value, of evaluating value and deciding what we're willing to accept and what we're willing to give up. And it should surprise us not then the, as Jesus marches his way toward the cross, as he's declaring the kingdom of God present among man, that he would ask these folks to take an evaluation of what they would be willing to give up to follow after him. What would you be willing to give up to follow Jesus this morning? Luke chapter 9, verses 23, down to verse number 27. Listen to it again. And he said to all, if anyone would come after me, or some translations read, desire to come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake, he will save it. For what does it profit a man if he gains the whole world and he loses or forfeits himself? Verse 26, for whoever is ashamed of me and my words, of him shall the Son of Man be ashamed when he comes in his glory and the glory of the Father and of the holy angels. But I tell you truly, or amen, there are some standing here who will not taste death until they see the kingdom of God. You know, this morning is one of the most difficult messages that any preacher, any pastor in the history of the church has ever had to deliver. It's not difficult because it's difficult to understand 
but rather it's a difficult message because as we hear it, it is very difficult to actually apply to our everyday living. Because if I deliver it correctly, if the Spirit of God uh, works through me in such a way as to deliver it rightly, then it offends every person within the sound of Jesus' words, including the preacher himself. And because if delivered rightly, some will follow the examples of others who heard these words in the gospel accounts, and other gospels record that some chose to walk away at the telling of these words. It is one of those messages that leaves no room for different interpretation. It is clear and it is costly, the message of Christ. Sometimes we walk out on a Sunday morning and we say, well, I'm not sure if the preacher was right or wrong today. Maybe you at Cornerstone walk out and say that more often than others, but this is not one of those messages, right? This is not one of those messages where it's difficult to understand. It's not difficult to parse the words themselves. They're easy, as it were, to to find their interpretation. But what makes it so difficult is it flies in, in the face of the very motto we are told to live by, and that is that the best things in life are free. And yet Jesus says that's not the case with the gospel. Now, before I go any further and before I dive into Jesus' words this morning, I want you to know uh, at the forefront that, that, that I don't mean that our salvation itself is not free. I'm going to come back to that in a few moments, but if you misunderstand what I just said, I, I want you to hang especially close as we work our way through this passage. Also, before we dive into Jesus' words, we have to understand a couple of things that are going on surrounding this passage, two things to be specific. And the first is, I would direct your attention to Luke chapter 7, verses 18 down to verse 23. There we are told a story about a man that you have heard about somewhere along the way. He was the first strange Baptist preacher, right? His name was John the Baptist. And it comes at a moment as John has a question for Jesus. Listen to the words of the story, beginning in verse 18. It says, The disciples of John reported all these things, what Jesus had been doing, as it were, to him, John the Baptist. And John, verse 19, calling two of his disciples to him, sent them to the Lord, saying, Are you the one who is to come, or shall we look for another? Now, let's just stop there for a moment. It should give us great encouragement this morning, and I've preached on this text before. It should give us great encouragement this morning to know that even the great John the Baptist had moments of doubt in his life. Doesn't that give you some encouragement? It gives me some, because sometimes life gets tough. And this great John the Baptist, who has baptized Christ, seen the Spirit of God descend in the form of a dove, heard the voice of God the Father speak at that moment, just John the Baptist who had declared to all who would listen, behold the Lamb of God who has come to take away the sins of the world, this John the Baptist now in this moment says, ask Jesus a question. Ask him if he's really the one or whether we should be waiting for another. Verse 21. In that hour, he healed many people of diseases and plagues and evil spirits. And on many who were blind, he bestowed their sight. Verse 22, and he answered them, Go and tell John what you have seen and heard. The blind receive their sight, the lame walk, lepers are cleansed, and the deaf hear, the dead are raised up, the poor have good news, the gospel preached unto them. And blessed is the one who is not offended by me. In this moment, John wanted to know that if he had led the people astray. 
When he pointed them to Jesus, in this moment, something has worked into John's heart and mind. Maybe it was the torture, maybe it was the imprisonment, maybe it was the weariness, maybe it was just the tiredness of waiting to see the fulfillment of God. But something has crept into John, and he asks this penetrating question, are you the one or should we be looking for another? And he's in essence saying in that moment, have I pointed to the wrong one? Did I get my wires crossed with the Lord? Did I get my messages uh, uh, erased and, and didn't really hear clearly from God? Did, did I misinterpret the tone of his text message when I pointed to you? Are you really the one or should I have been pointing others to somebody else? Second, John wanted to know if, he was, if it was all going to be worth it in the end. He was really asking in that moment, I don't know, and, and as I sit here now, I don't know if this is really worth it. According to another gospel, he is about to lose his life as he sends these disciples to ask these questions. And he wants to know, is it really worth the sacrifice? I think you can in this moment sense a little bit of John's humanity here. Surely he knew better than anyone the countless prophecies of the Old Testament. Surely he knew that God was bringing about the fulfillment of those prophecies. And with all the things that keep you, you, when you keep getting promised, I wonder sometimes if John didn't think to himself, you know, God has promised these things for a long time. How do we really know that this is the right one? You get so far away from those promises and you start to wonder whether or not they will really ever meet your expectations, Right? It's what we do at Christmas time with our kids. We start building it up in January of the, of, the, of the next year, right? And we start telling them, oh, 12 months from now, 11 and a half months from now, you're going to get great gifts. And before long, the expectations get so high, you start to think to yourself, I wonder, can it really be as good as it was promised? Basically, what John is saying in this moment is, I'm not sure if I really want to tag my train onto you. I'm not really sure in this moment if I really do believe everything I've said. I thought I did, but you're not operating the way that I wanted you to operate, the way I thought you would operate. This isn't going the way I thought it would go, and, and I, I thought there was a plan, right? This week we were watching Veggie Tales. Now, that's a sign that you're a true believer in Jesus, that you'll drive down the road and listen to Veggie Tales on the DVD player behind you for two hours, right? And we're listening to Veggie Tales, and it was the second ballad of Little Joe. You remember this one? It was the lone stranger and, and, the, and the story of Mo and the great exit, right? Okay, none of you remember any of this? Okay, next week's sermon will be Veggie Tales and the second ballad of Little Joe. And all God's people were like, great, sign me up today. But we're listening to it, and something caught my attention, and that is that I don't know which character it was. Oh, yeah, it was, it was Aaron. And when Mo began to operate in his own strength, Aaron said, Mo, remember the plan. Remember the plan. You, you, I'll speak. You will shake your little stick, and God will do the rest. Remember the plan. They lead all of these vegetables, these peas and cucumbers, zucchinis, and all those things that none of God's people really choose to eat. That's why we made them into a VeggieTale movie. And they're leading them, and they get to Death Valley, and it's time to cross over. And all of a sudden, everybody's scared. And Aaron says, maybe we should go back to Dodgeball City and see if the mayor will deal better with us. And, and Mo turns to Aaron, and he says, remember the plan. 
I think in this moment, John the Baptist must have been thinking to himself, I'm not sure this is exactly how I thought this was going to work out. Are you really the one? Are you sure you're the one? Because this is life or death for me, an eternal consequence for all the people I've spoken to. Are you the one? There's a second thing worth getting our attention this morning, and I want you to see how they're all connected, interconnected as we move through it. And that is with the little word crowds that Luke continues to bring up. If you read from Luke chapter 1 to Luke chapter 9, it seems like Luke is obsessed with telling you how many people are there. We've already repeatedly seen how often Luke points out that there are masses of people following Jesus. But Luke is doing so to emphasize something. And that is that Jesus is not, it's not that he wants to emphasize Jesus' popularity, but he's wanting to emphasize the varying degrees in these crowds and their understanding and acceptance of who Jesus is. This is the connection point with his telling of the story of John the Baptist. Because here is a great hero who is responding not the way that we might expect, but more in line with how the crowds were responding. Take a journey with me ever so quickly in Luke chapter 7, beginning in 36, we're told a story about some Pharisees who reject Christ because he's entertaining a sinner. He's allowing her to get too close to him, to do things to him that that they thought were inappropriate. But there in the midst of the crowd, there's a prostitute on that day who finds everything that she had ever longed for in the forgiveness that Christ offered to her. Then you go to Luke chapter 8, and at the very start, there's a group of women who Luke singles out as having ministered with Jesus Christ. We read past it, and we're like, well, that's great. Well, thank you, Luke, for giving us a few more names of people we don't understand. But Luke does it intentionally in the gospel in chapter 8 for the purpose of telling us, hey, listen, there are people who are following after Christ. And there are not only people, but there are women. The very first women's ministry is beginning to form, right? There are women, and and living in a man's world, Luke is making a statement about how they rejected the despised, the lowly, those who you would least expect. I mean, women, for Pete's sake, are following Jesus, right? Then there was the casting out of legion, the legion of demons into the pig. That's what happens next in his gospel account. And noticing, if you notice as you read the story, what happens? A great crowd comes along at the very first epidemic of swine flu. This great crowd shows up and they're like, man, we don't know what to do. But we know this, you got to get out of here. One more time, a crowd, a mob, a mass rejecting Christ. But at the end of the story, one individual, a man who's been cleansed of the demons says, I want to go wherever you want to go. Then Jesus leaves there and he's on his way to heal an official's daughter. But a crowd, there it is again one more time, almost makes it impossible. As they get all around him, they're pressing around and suddenly a woman who wants nothing more than to just simply touch the hem of his garment finds her way in. One more time, Luke shows a contrast between the masses of people who wanted to hang around and singular individuals who wanted to follow after Christ. Then we get to Luke chapter 9, the chapter we're in this morning, verses 7 down to verse 9, and we find that there's a leader by the name of Herod who we're told is the tetriarch. He is the leader of the Jews. And Luke uses a couple of things to say about him to describe him. He says, first of all, in verse 7, that Herod was perplexed by Jesus. 
He was confused. He was interested, but not sure what to do about it. And then at the end of verse number 9, Luke tells us that Herod wanted to seek him, sought after to see him. Finally, we get to Luke chapter 9 and verses 10 to verse number 17. There's a feeding of the 5,000. And if we connect it to John's telling, assuming it was the same one, that at the end of the feeding, are you ready? There's this mass crowd gathered together. And Jesus gives them an ultimatum that they must follow him and him alone. He challenges the motives for which they are following. And it says there in John's gospel that at the end of such, many followed him no more. Over and over again in Luke's gospel, he sets the crowd, the masses of people against the individuals, the masses rejecting Christ, and the individuals finding something in him that they might not have expected. But what's a little bit unique about Luke's gospel is he develops a theme that is maybe not as prevalent in all of the other Gospels, and that is that Luke wants to tell you not only are the downtrodden following Jesus, not only are the depressed following Jesus, but there are all kinds of people following Jesus. Everybody from rulers and spiritualists to the power and the wealthy to the kings, all of them are interested in being around Jesus. But then what Luke does from that theme, is one by one as each story is told, he begins to show how Jesus separated them from the many into the few. And the reason or the method by which Jesus separated them in Luke's gospel over and over again is the motive of their heart. In other words, he's willing to tell you that a great king wanted to follow Jesus, but he wants to show you that the king followed for the wrong reason. Why, oh why, would people choose not to? Why, oh why, would John the Baptist begin to question? Why, oh why, would the few individuals who sought after him, why would some follow and others not? Well, the answer is what Luke records to us here this morning in verses 23 to verse 27. As Luke ushers out Jesus' call, he's telling us exactly why it was that some were staying and others were going. Let me circle my horse back around for a moment. Before we dive too deep, I want to one more time be clear that we believe this morning in this church that salvation is the free, emphasized free, gift of God offered in Christ Jesus. Romans chapter 3 and verse 23 to 24 says that all have fallen short of the glory of God and are justified. That same word all is implied there and are justified freely. Are you ready? By his grace through the redemption that came by Christ Jesus. We believe this morning that, that, uh, uh, that we are saved solely, only because of the free gift of God offered in Christ Jesus by faith in him. If anything I say from this point forward leads you to some other conclusion, then either I will have communicated poorly or you have misunderstood my words. I'll say it over and over and over again that the free gift of God is Jesus Christ. The free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus to be accepted, not because of who your mama was or your daddy was or because of the things that you can do that you have done or will do, but the meritorious finished work of Christ on our behalf alone, only his finished work of Christ, not because of our ethnicity, not because of our lineage, not because of our heritage, not because of our creed, but because only of the atoning death and resurrection of Christ on our behalf offered freely to all who would become are any of us saved and entered into the kingdom of God today. 
Not because of one little thing that you're going to do. But what I wish to communicate with you this morning is exactly what Jesus was trying to communicate. And perhaps what an old businessman once said best when he remarked that the entrance into the kingdom is free, but the annual subscription is everything. You get in the door for free, but the requirement, the the annual subscription they're following is your life. It's everything. You see, I believe that when we get a gift like we have in Christ, free gifts necessitate a response. I remember several years ago, one particular Christmas, and I've told this story from varying angles, so you'll hang with me, and I'll tell it one more time. But I remember one Christmas with my spouse, and we had agreed that we would not spend any money on ourselves, but rather we would, or we would limit how much we spent on ourselves, and we would lavish upon our kids all kinds of stuff because they don't have enough crap every other day of the year, right? All right. We're, so we decided to go shopping, right? And I noticed that as we were walking around the mall, in one particular store, there was a pair of shoes that she wanted. But Kelly, being the typical frugal-minded person she is, I just go and buy. The typical frugal-minded she is, as soon as she saw the price tag, she put them down and walked away. But multiple times as we uh, continued our Christmas shopping, I noticed that every time she walked by, she would look at them. You know what I'm saying? Like, I wish there was some way, even at one point, stopping and asking the sales clerk, are these on sale? Are they going to be on sale? Could you give me some inside information? I'll make it worth your time. Amen, right? She desperately wanted the shoes, but she knew they were more than what she would normally pay. So I thought, you know, hey, this is a time to be the lone stranger. I mean, ranger, right, you know? This is a time to win, and, and this is a time to show her up at Christmas in front of all of our family and friends. And so I thought I would surprise her, and I went back to the store a few days later, back to Columbia, and I bought them. I mean, I hid them. I had them wrapped. I, what a great surprise. I, I, I left nothing, uh, no stone unturned to make sure that it was a complete surprise. We're sitting around my family's house in Illinois, and we're opening gifts And I am getting pretty excited. I don't even care what kind of gifts I'm getting. I'm excited because I know for the first time in 16 years of knowing each other, I actually got something that she wanted, right? She opened up her gift and literally, as she opened the gift and saw the shoes, was moved to tears. Now, I should not tell this side of the story, but after four years, I think I've seen her wear them twice. But she was literally moved to tears Because she was so excited about it. And then I got to open my gift. And it was a stupid shirt. You know what I'm saying? Now, I mean, I know we had an arrangement. It was a nice shirt. Don't get me wrong. But it was still a shirt nonetheless, right? And it was a little bit funny uh, because, to be honest with you, I say that tongue-in-cheek this morning. I, I really didn't care what I got because, honestly, in all sincerity, God knows my heart, I was extremely delighted and excited about giving her this gift that I knew she wanted. But when she handed me the gift, I remember clearly how she just kept kind of carrying on, right? 
Because this is why I made her open my gift first, right? So she's handing me the gift. She's carrying on about how, you know, she didn't have much time and we had an agreement not to spend any money and blah, 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 blah. And then I opened it, you know, and I looked at it and I, and I exchanged the pleasantries of, wow, what a nice plaid shirt. One more, right, for the closet. And I'm truly trying to lift up my face. And she keeps going on about, well, there's a real gift. I didn't bring it with you. And I said, God knows, Kelly, you're lying. But she wants, she is embarrassed and she's trying to tell me, hey, please just, just hang on. I have something else that's coming, right? Listen, when you receive a gift as matchless as what I gave, it demands a response. And I suppose that's at the heart in some ways of what Jesus is saying in this moment. That the free gift of salvation that is offered in him is free. But when you get such a matchless gift, it demands a response on our part. It demands something, some response, some uh, inescapable response, as it were, in response to what we have received. Verse number 23, he said to all, Luke writes... If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross daily, and follow me. Three simple truths this morning I want to show you. First of all, I want you to notice that Luke introduces this saying of Jesus by noting that Jesus offered this teaching, are you ready, to all. I don't suppose I had ever caught that before until I was studying this week. It wasn't limited in this moment to the disciples, nor to the women following, nor to even a select few. Instead, what Luke tells us is that Jesus turned and he looked at the entire mass of people that were following. To every last one of them, to the good, the bad, the ugly, the indifferent, to everybody that that might have felt accepted in a society, to the kings, to the rulers, from Herod the Tetrarch, to the lowly prostitute who longed to get close to Jesus. Listen, to each and every one of them, he turns and offers the same extended call. Now, few were going to respond, but he gave every one of them, within the sound of his voice, the opportunity to accept or reject the invitation that he was offering to them. Surely he knew that his words would be offensive and fall on so many deaf ears, but his call was nonetheless spoken to the mass. It was what we call common grace in religious circles, that the Lord loves so much, uh, loves us so much, knowing that we will reject the invitation. He still proclaims the truth through through its many different mediums to the mass, to the whole. That's why the Roman writer says that he used the creation itself to tell of the excellencies, the majesty of God, the graces of God. All of creation proclaims the story of God because God wants all to hear that message. Knowing that some, very few, will actually receive and accept, but he still gives the opportunity. He still shows that message out. He still puts it in everyone's ear. In this moment, Jesus knew that few would actually be unoffended by what he was about to say, but he still turned to all and he said, if you desire to come after me. And he echoes that thought immediately for, as Luke tells the story, Jesus begins with two words, if anyone... This morning, you and I are a part of that anyone. If you hear the call of God today, you have an opportunity to answer and respond. You and I are a part of that anyone. It can be big person, small person, little person, young person, old person, middle-aged person. 
breaking them apart as our politicians do today. You can be a part, be a part of white suburban class America. You can be a part of black suburban class. You can be a part of the ghetto. You can be a part of, of, the, of the higher end uh, uh, economic statuses of Sedalia. Listen, if anyone, he says, that call went out to all, an opportunity to respond. And what was that call? He said, if anyone would come after me. Some translations, as I said earlier, actually read, if, you, if anyone desires to come after me. The idea here is that there are masses of people who are seeking Jesus for a variety of reasons, right? Some of them wanted to be close to Jesus because of healing or food and provisions. Others wanted the fame and the fortune that would come along with it. Even his inner circle of 12 disciples, there are a mixed amount of motives. There are some who are seeking for power, James and John. There are some seeking for riches, Judas Iscariot. There are some that are seeking out of religious zealotry, Simon Peter and Simon the Zealot. There are many motives of the people around Jesus. From the masses to the inner circle, there are many motives around Jesus. And in this moment, what he does is he offers a call For not only that inner circle, but for everybody else. And he says, if anybody desires to follow, if there's anybody listening who desires, has a desire to follow, but then he begins to separate them by their motives. That leads me to the second truth this morning. As he offers the opportunity, he then lays out upon them the two criterion upon which their following must submit. In other words, in this moment, As he offered it to all, then he turned his attention and he began to separate them by saying, if you're going to come, you need to understand where you're going. I think this is the purpose of the parable of the builders who, where Jesus says, what man builds a house and does not first weigh the cost? Oftentimes, I think we over uh, or we don't tell this enough as we're proclaiming the gospel and we're trying to convince, to persuade men to come to Christ. Oftentimes, we sell short what we're actually trying to give to them. We don't tell them to stop and to consider what it is that they're about to accept, to stop and consider who it is that they're wanting to follow. He lays out two criteria upon which if you're going to come after me, if you have a desire, then listen, I want you to understand you're going to follow me under certain conditions. Listen, I said I'll take anybody. They can tag along with Isaiah and I. But in this moment, Jesus said, if you want to follow, if you have a desire, I'm going to separate you by these conditions. I want you to know that if you're really going to follow after me, there are two things you're going to have to do. And the first was... He said, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. Denial of self, it speaks of a loss of our personhood this morning, beloved. That is that we, our identity is suddenly found in something that it once was not. Our goals, our passions, our ambitions, they find no meaning in this moment. Instead, we set them aside, he's saying. That we have to deny ourselves, put aside those things that we're passionate about. Not because they're bad things, not that God won't allow us to partake in those things. But we have to put those things aside for something that is greater, right? That word deny, it speaks of an intentional act of refusing service. In uh, darker days in our country, there was a time when people were refused, denied service as a direct result of their ethnicity, 
He says in this moment, using that same word to deny, that we will intentionally act of refusing service to our own selves. We will refuse to give service to my own self, to what I want. And upon that intentional act of refusing service to self, he then requires a second intentional act, and that is that he says he must take up his cross daily and follow me. To understand those words, we need to look no further than the example of Christ. As the Hebrew writer said in chapter 12 and verse 2, fixing our eyes upon Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of our faith, for the joy set before him endured the cross, scorning its shame, and, at the, and, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. You want Jesus' crown this morning. You must also take his cross. Jesus picked up and he carried his cross that day to a hill, to a mount called Calvary, knowing the brutality of his death because he, according to the Hebrew writer, focused his attention focused his joy, focused his, his intentionality. He focused everything on what was in front of him in that brutal death, and it was our redemption. Here, Christ offers us that same opportunity, not to save ourselves, but also not to look at a Savior who died and wonder, but now he's saying, Jesus is saying that we can come and to die with him. That we would refuse service to ourselves, but also that we would be willing to kill ourselves, to do a spiritual act of suicide, to die with Christ, to pick up a cross as it were, to embrace suffering as it were, to embrace a life that doesn't make sense as it were, to embrace something that the world rejects, to come after him. And, uh, and by the way, this act is never ending because he includes, Luke includes, unlike the other gospel writers, a singular word after that he would die to himself, that he would take up his cross, listen, daily. You got to pick it up tomorrow just like you did today. And then the next day, and the next day, and the next day. You don't respond to a singular invitation and say, well, today I've decided to pick up my cross and then leave it there or forget it at the church doors. No, he's saying in this moment, if you want to come after me, you have to refuse service to yourself and you have to be willing to die to self literally, intentionally, every day of the week. You're going to put it away so that his words could not be misconstrued or misconstrued or misunderstood he continues in verse 24 and he says, For whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will save it. Following Christ, what Christ required. No, following what Christ continues to require. A continual willingness to lose everything, Jesus says. Now we are in a world of barters, as I said earlier this morning. Everything comes at a price. Beloved, did you know that every decision you make is really an evaluation of price? Did you know that? When you go to work somewhere, you evaluate whether or not the job required is worthy of the compensation that is offered. You make a decision about that, and many things go into it. When you choose to marry a partner, a spouse, you are evaluating whether the union you create is greater than the freedom that you lose. When you choose to join a church, you evaluate whether or not your benefit, the benefit you receive, is worthy of the sacrifice and the service that you'll be asked of. And here is the point, beloved. In all of those decisions, 
Because of our mentality, because of our sinful nature, we make those decisions about me. Am I getting out of this what I want? Two thoughts. First of all, in this call, Jesus flips that thinking on its head. He says, it's not about you, Chris Guffey, for this will require that you die to yourself. You will put yourself on the cross. Create, uh, you, will, you will commit intentional spiritual suicide, as it were. You will take on my heart, my mind, my life, and you will put aside all those other things that you once held dear. And second, Christ is suggesting that the gift of following him is greater than the loss of self. That leads me to the third truth of the passage. For all that is lost, Jesus wants us to know and wanted these people to know that much more is gained. Verse 25, for what does it profit a man if he gains the whole world and he loses or he forfeits himself? I keyed in on that little word forfeit. It means to give over for nothing, right? It means to, to be taken advantage of, as it were, to give away something. Sometimes we can speak of forfeiture in the sense of somebody else owns it, we possessed it, but we're giving it back. In whichever case you want, either as God owns our life and we are, uh, we are giving it back or it is being taken back from us, or whether it's in the sense of having to give up something for nothing, the truth remains the same. He's saying, what would it profit you if you literally got everything you wanted in life, but then you got to the end of life and you lost your soul, you lost yourself, you lost who you were. You see, we live in this world and we think that this world is all that there is. We walk around and we assume we've heard the preacher talk about an afterlife, an eternal life, and that great journey. And, and we, we assume, we think it's probably true, but we live as though that's not what is important. We live as though what I can feel, what I can sense, what I can taste, today is what is important. And Jesus said, listen, what good would it do you if you got everything you ever wanted, but in the process of getting everything you ever wanted, you lost your soul. He goes on. He says in verse 26, says that there will be some that will be called to identify with Christ and his kingdom. There will be many who reject, but those who accept, verse 27, but I tell you truly, there are some standing here who will not taste death until they see the kingdom of God. Simple terms. By rejecting yourself, and all that that is, by rejecting myself and all that that is, what Jesus was pointing them to was they were embracing something that was much, much greater. In this world, there's a lot of grandeur. There's a lot of grandeur for both good and for bad. From a baby's first cry to life's final breath, from joy of marriage to the sting of divorce, from the thrill of victory to the taste of defeat, there's lots of grandeur in life. But Jesus was saying in this moment, you have to do an evaluation if you want to follow me. Is this world more valuable than the next? Each and every one of you has to make that decision. By following Jesus, you are putting your hope in the next. But by rejecting Christ, listen, you're putting your hope in the present. C.S. Lewis once wrote, Give up yourself and you will find your real self. Lose your life and you will save it. Submit to death, death of your ambitions and favorite wishes every day and death of your whole body in the end. Submit with every fiber of your being and you will find eternal life. Keep back nothing. 
Nothing that you have not given away will ever be really yours. Nothing in you that has not died will ever be raised from the dead. Look for yourself and you will find in the long run only hatred, loneliness, despair, rage, ruin, and decay. But look for Christ, he writes, and you will find him. And with him, everything else thrown in. Beloved, with all that I am, I offer to you the same call that Jesus offered to these. And that is that he said in this moment, I want you to come. I offer you the opportunity to come. But if you're going to come, you cannot come on your own terms. You have to come on my terms. If you're going to come, you have to be willing to die to self, to deny yourself things that your sinful passions and flesh might want. You have to be willing to put those things away because you believe that what you have in the next life, what you have even in this life in Christ, is far superior to the fleeting hopes that are offered over there. One little illustration. Yesterday morning, as you get older, you start taking certain things of value and things, your, your opinions change. And growing up, I always wanted to kill the biggest buck in the woods, and I still do today. And uh, if you are a PETA supporter, I'm sorry. Uh, hang with me for a few minutes, okay? I always wanted to kill the biggest buck in the woods, and I was at times even fairly jealous about it. I remember on one occasion when I was in college, I brought a friend home with me, and we had a deer on camera, and I was desperate to kill that thing. And first time in my life that I'd ever even had the opportunity to see a deer, you know, and of course the cameras back then weren't very good, but... Anyway, and I brought my friend home from college, and he climbed up in a tree stand, and like his first 30 minutes of the hunt, first time ever in the property, and by the way, I put him in the worst place on the property intentionally, right? He killed the deer that I was looking for, right? But over the years, you kill a few deer, and you get a few of them hanging on your wall, and if you're lucky, your wife lets you take them out of the basement wall and put them upstairs, but no, no I won't digress. You, you get the opportunity to do that, and then all of a sudden, you start getting older and you start having kids. And yesterday I made the decision that I wasn't even going to take my own gun. I was just going to take Isaiah. And whatever happened, happened, right? And by the way, I could shoot his if I needed to, right? You know? So, uh, so we, we get up and first started off with youth season and we went out and we passed up all these does because Isaiah said, Dad, I, I want to kill a buck. And I said, that's great, son. And, we, you know, we'll do that. If you want to be patient, we'll do that, right? And so we went out yesterday morning, and uh, we're in the stand a little bit, and a couple bucks went by, and we, we couldn't get a shot at them, couldn't harvest them. And, and we're sitting there, and it's probably been about 45 minutes, and yesterday morning everything was so cold, the leaves and everything was frozen. You walk through the timber, it sounded like, uh, you know, I, I don't know, it was just loud. You couldn't hardly hear anything around you. All of a sudden I look over to my right, and there's this buck walking right alongside of us at about 40 yards. And I look at him, and at first I'm like, oh, man, that's a big deer. You know, that's, that's the one, that's one of them that I've got on camera. I, I want that deer. And I started to reach over and grab his gun, right? I mean, after all, the little feller was asleep. Uh, uh, so, uh, so I, I, but then I was like, no, 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 no. I, I, you know, this is, this is him. This is his opportunity. And so as fast as we could, we scramble everybody together. We get him on our lap, and we get the sticks up and get the gun set down. And uh, we're, 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 we're looking out the blind, and I, I'm grunting at the deer, trying to get him to stop, and he doesn't. I don't suppose he ever even heard us. He just kind of walked out of our lives. And I told Isaiah, Isaiah's like, man, Dad, that was a big deer. That's like the ones you see on TV. And I was like, yeah, buddy, it was. You know, that's a good deer. And we're excited about it and stuff and talking, and 
But inside of me, there's a little something that's like, you know, you should have just shot the deer. You know, I mean, what, what are you doing wasting time with him, right? And then, and then I tried to spiritualize it, you know. I started talking to myself, and I'm like, well, it really wasn't that big one, you know. I mean, we've got this one on camera, you know, like twice, three times in, in a couple of months. You know, we've not seen him very much. I've never seen him on, on, on foot. You know, it really probably wasn't that deer, right, you know. It was probably one of those smaller ones. I even started texting my friends, you know. I texted Chuck. I was like, well, Isaiah just had 120-class deer walk by. I was doing that to make myself feel better because I was fairly convinced that we had made a big mistake, right, well, my senses got confirmed as the morning went on because this deer caught up with a couple of does and it was like going to a junior high dance. He's chasing them around the woods all morning long, just one by one. Three different times he runs these deer past us at 50 yards and all three times we couldn't get a shot on him. And later on I'm thinking to myself, you know, I wonder if it was the one I thought it was or if it's maybe one of those smaller ones, you know. Well, curiosity got the best of me. As soon as we were, it was time to go and get out of the blind, I walked down and I looked at the camera that I had on a tree about 70 yards in front of us that I knew he walked by and it was the one deer that I probably would shoot on this farm, right? And all of a sudden I'm like, man, that was, what was I thinking, you know? I mean, what are you doing letting a seven-year-old try to kill that deer? Let him shoot a spike, you know what I mean? I mean, what are you doing, right? And I really got convicted about it and I thought, no, you know what? If that deer shows up again, I Today's Isaiah's day. I'm going to let him have it. So we're talking yesterday afternoon, and everybody's telling their deer stories, half of which I don't believe. But anyway, two people are telling their deer stories. They're telling us that everything's happened. And I'm having this conversation with a friend last night about 7.30, and he says, you didn't grab the gun? And I said, here's an opportunity to prove how spiritual you are, right? You know? I was like, no, I didn't. And he said, well, why not? And I said, because that deer has no eternal value to me whatsoever. I'd really like to have him on the wall, but how cool would it have been? I already got deer bigger than that on the wall. How cool would it have been to see Isaiah kill him? Now, all you PETA people can turn off your, uh, you know, take off your earmuffs and listen to the rest of the sermon. My point is simply this. Oftentimes, we get so hung up on things that have absolutely no eternal value at all. And listen, I'm going to go out. I'm still going to hunt. I still want to do those things passionately. But we get so hung up that we almost get heartsick about it. We do get heartsick about it. When Jesus says, that's not even going to fulfill you in the first place. If you want to follow me, be willing to deny yourself service, to kill yourself so that you take on my heart, my ambitions, my dreams, and I promise you, you won't regret it. So the invitation this morning is pretty simple, isn't it? Simple in its understanding. It's more difficult in its application. First, for those who have considered accepting Christ, considered following Jesus but never have, let me speak as plainly as I can to you. Following Christ is the greatest gift you're ever going to receive. And all of the church, all of the redeemed people should have said, dilly dilly. Receiving Christ, following Christ is the greatest gift you will ever receive. It comes with danger and toil and loss and sacrifice, but you'll find everything your heart ever longed for and so much more through the free gift of God's grace offered. But I want you to make no mistake about it. His grace is not free. His grace is free, rather, but it is not cheap. It costs God his son, and it will cost you everything as well. 
including a total rejection of yourself. Make sure you know what you're signing up for. Number two, to those like me who have answered the call so many years ago, and I think it's especially appropriate as we take communion this morning, those who have answered the call like me so many years ago, I ask, what am I holding back today? What is it that I haven't been willing to put away to follow Jesus? Maybe it's a desire, maybe it's an ambition, maybe it's a dream, maybe it's resources, whatever it is. What am I holding back? What is it that I've said I'm not willing to go that much further? What have I tried to hold on to that God wanted me to let go of? Answer that question and you'll be ready to follow Jesus in the manner in which he issues this call. But the one who wants to follow after me, deny himself, pick up his cross, and follow after me daily. Stand with me reverently and let's pray. Father, thank you so much for the day and for the opportunity that you give to us to come together in this place, to study your word, to sing songs of praise, worship, to have a few moments where we can in somberness reflect back on what it is that you want us to hear this morning. And what you want us to hear this morning is a simple truth, simple to understand but difficult to apply. And that is that while your gift of grace is so free, It's unmerited. It's something that we can't earn. It's not something we inherit. It's given to us solely through the repentance, confession of sin, and believing that what Jesus did on the cross of Calvary was good enough to pay the penalty for our sin. That alone. This morning, what you want us to hear is that we should accept that free gift, but recognize that in order to follow you, to keep coming after you, We're going to be required to have everything in our life radically changed, transformed. Our hearts, our desires, our emotions, our passions, our resources, none of what we have is ours anymore. It's all yours. Because we believe that what we have in Christ and what we have waiting for us in the next kingdom is so so much greater, so much better than what we have here. Father, would you move upon our hearts in such a way this morning that we would let go of those things which might have hindered us or held us back in days before. Would we surrender them solely and only unto you. In Jesus' precious name we pray. Amen. Every head bowed and every eye closed. We're going to have our worship leaders sing us through just a couple of verses here. But I want us just to meditate, to set our hearts upon these things for a few moments, not worry about what's going on around us or behind us, but to set our hearts and minds on these things. I think of the words of C.T. Studd who said, what is all the fame and flattery worth when a man faces eternity? Sat in the homes of believers as they drew their last breath for something peaceful. Because when they took that last breath, they knew they leapt into a eternal paradise, eternal bliss. And they realized what their faith had hoped for for so long. Likewise, I've seen folks die without any hope at all, with no peace. What does it profit a man if he gains the whole world, but he loses his soul? This morning, let us think on those things and reflect in this solemnness in a manner fitting of Christ's call.
And uh, when we come to the Lord's Supper, when we come to the Lord's table, uh, we do so, we want to do so in a worthy that is fitting of his death and sacrifice on our behalf. And so the Apostle Paul commissions us, commands us to examine ourselves in such moments as these to see whether we be of the faith, whether there be any sin that hinders us uh, from being able to partake and, and whether or not there be any sin that's left unconfessed. And so in moments like this, when we take the Lord's Supper, we ask of you first and foremost that you first examine whether or not you're in the faith and whether or not you have trusted in Christ, confessed sin, and if you have, whether or not there's anything left remaining today, any unconfessed sin that needs to be confessed in this moment. Let's take just a few moments as our pianist plays. Let's take just a few moments of silence, and you pray there, and if there's anything left unconfessed, this would be a moment now to confess that so that we may take the Lord's Supper properly. Father, we come before you, not on our own worthiness, not on our own merit, but we come before you this morning on the meritorious work of Christ on our behalf, who shed his blood on the cross of Calvary, that we might live free, that we might be free from our lust, our passions, our sin. We might be free from their consequence, their wages, that we might be free from death itself and experience new and eternal life. We thank you today for that glorious work. And we claim it as our only merit. We claim it as our only thing that allows us to come into your presence. We claim his death on our behalf, his righteousness, so that we might have communion with you and life everlasting. We're so thankful for that. Father, this morning, would you continue to do business on our hearts and minds as we think on these things in the days to come. In Jesus' precious name, amen. We're going to pass out the elements, a couple of announcements I want to make as we do this. First of all, uh, we always get the question, who's welcome to participate in the Lord's Supper? The answer to that question is very simple. Uh, You must have professed faith in Jesus Christ, been baptized scripturally by immersion, or we offer this caveat as well, be planning on being baptized scripturally by immersion in the, in the near future, okay? Uh, we offer those caveats. So you can come from a different denomination. You can be a part of a different local church. You don't have to be a member at this particular church to observe communion with us. We just ask that you uh, have expressed faith in Jesus Christ, trusted in him for the forgiveness of sin, and have either been baptized scripturally or you are planning in the most immediate future to uh, partake of that, you are welcome at the table with us. Also, as these men pass out these elements, we do it a little bit different these times, and that is that both elements are together. So make sure that when you the tray comes around, you grab two cups. They should be inside one another. Make sure you grab both cups, and you will have both elements to partake with us. In the Gospel of Luke, the 22nd chapter, and the the Lord's Supper is instituted for the first time. We read in verse 14, And when the hour had come, he reclined at table, and the apostles with him. And he said to them, I have earnestly desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. For I tell you that I will not eat it until it is fulfilled. I will not eat it until it is fulfilled in the kingdom of God. And he took a cup, and when he had given thanks, he said, Take this and divide it amongst yourselves. Verse 18. For I tell you that from now on, I will not drink the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God comes. And he took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it 
And he gave it to them saying, this is my body, which is given for you. Do in remembrance of me. Verse 20. And likewise, the cup after they had eaten, saying, this cup that is poured out for you is the new covenant in my blood. We pray. Father, thank you again for the day and for the opportunity that you've given to us to be invited to your table, not because of our worth, but because of the work of Christ on our behalf. May we answer your call this morning to thyself, to pick up our cross, and to follow with you in your death. That we would be willing to sacrifice all things for your kingdom, for your purposes, and for your glory. Until all men and women and children would know the world over the precious name of Christ. Until the day when you return, when you split the skies, and the final judgment comes, we participate in this moment to remember what we've received, but also the promise that that day is so very near. We pray for blessings upon these dear people for their faithfulness, pray for blessings upon their family. In Jesus' precious name we pray. Amen. Remember this morning,